0: Well, it is summer and uh, lots of us are thinking about our vacation plans. Uh, So I want you to stop for a moment and imagine your dream destination. Perhaps somewhere you've seen in movies or travel sites or uh, maybe it was somebody's Instagram. Uh, For me, the dream destination, right? There's this resort in Bora Bora. It has bungalows and they're built on piers out over the turquoise waters of a lagoon. Uh, Apparently the rooms even have glass floors so you can see the fish swimming underneath your room. Uh, I love the South Pacific and Bora Bora is a dream destination for me. Uh, Dream destinations, I wonder where yours is. Uh, Sailing in Croatia perhaps, scuba in the Maldives, safari in Africa, perhaps surfing in Australia. Uh, I enjoy that myself. Well, we love vacations because we picture ourselves in these idyllic settings and thinking about it is almost as satisfying as being there. Well, not really. But we set up all these expectations in our minds of what the place will be like, uh, what it will be like to rest, uh, what it will do for our relationships. Uh, That's the dream, I think. So now I want you to think about your dream church. What would that be like? What, What expectations do you have for a church? Well, that's what we'll be thinking about this morning as we open the Bible So, stick around and we'll find out what it says about the perfect church in just a moment.
1: God On the day we celebrate our nation's birth, we place our faith in you. You are the one who gives us freedom. You have endowed us with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And may we pursue you with the passion that you first pursued us. As we celebrate our great nation, we remember the sacrifice and turmoil that this country was born out of and that continues to shape us today. We know that you are not done here. We know that we are far from perfect and we know that you have a plan. We pause to remember that you are our God and we are the people of your pasture. Help our country turn toward you Bring revival to this nation. Give our leaders clear vision and sober minds. Bring peace and justice to our schools and unite us all as brothers and sisters. God, we ask that your kingdom would come and come quickly. May peace and prosperity come to your children living in the land of the free and the home of of the brave. Amen. Well, good
0: morning and welcome to Yonkville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here, uh, and it is so great to welcome you to church today. Uh, happy Fourth of July to all of you. I uh, hope you get to do something special today to celebrate my family. We're going to have a big old American barbecue with friends. So my dream destination this afternoon will be the couch. Welcome to church. Uh, We're online for the moment while we wait for the final stages of our renovation to be completed. Um, So make sure you signed up to our e-news weekly email to stay on top of all the latest developments there. Uh, That will also help you to get ready to come back to church in person after such a long time apart uh, between COVID and our building project. Uh, We're really excited for what God is doing in Yonville and in the Napa Valley and beyond as we share the hope of Jesus with every generation. So thank you if you've been on the journey with us for a long time and welcome if you're someone brand new. I'd love to ask everybody to fill out a Connect card right now, to go to our website, yontvillechurch.org. That's right here. Send me a note in the post. Give me a call. Let us know that you've connected today because church is all about connection, connecting with God and connecting with one another. So I hope we can connect soon. Well, the last announcement to make is to make sure that you head to our kids' page and check out our kids' church videos. Uh, Our kids' minister, Charlotte, does an incredible job of teaching Jesus to the little ones. And we'd love to see lots more children and families join us as time goes on. Uh, And just by watching the videos yourself, you'll be able to recommend them to your family and neighbors. Uh, You'll probably enjoy them too, I'm sure you will. So uh, please watch and pray for our kids' ministry. But that's enough news for now. Why don't we pray as we open the Bible, that God will teach us uh, and that he will speak to us today through his word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at this picture of the early church, will you teach us what it means to be church, uh, what our priorities ought to be as a church, and what our attitudes ought to be as we live out our faith in community? Uh, Will you breathe your spirit into us today as we read this scripture so that we hear you speak and through Christ we pray. Amen. So, what would the perfect church look like? If you had to picture it in your mind, what what would it be like? What makes for a great church? Uh, Is it teaching? Is it music? Is it the physical setting? Uh, Is it the relationships that you form in church? Is it the presence of God? What makes for the perfect church? Well, today we're looking at a Bible passage that many people say is a description of the perfect church. It's the church in Acts chapter two, the very first gathering of Christians before there were any church buildings, before the New Testament was written down, before the institutional church was established, before denominations, before all of that. This is like the Lord of the Flies for Christians. It's the first followers of Jesus working out how to live their faith in community uh, with one another. But before we open the passage, it's important to understand the context for the verses we're about to read. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is one of the pivotal moments in the Bible as God reveals the new way of worshipping him in spirit and in truth, as Jesus had told uh, in John chapter 4 verse 24. So our passage takes place after Jesus' death and his resurrection, and then you'll remember that after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with the believers, proving in all kinds of ways that he really was alive. That's Acts 1 verse 3. And then he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of his spirit. And that's the story of Pentecost at the start of Acts 2. So God poured out his Holy Spirit on the disciples and they were filled with the spirit and they were able to speak the languages of all the people gathered for the festival in Jerusalem to tell them about Jesus. And then Peter, uh, the disciple who had denied Jesus, uh, denied knowing Jesus three times before the crucifixion, was well, now filled with the Spirit. He stands up and he gives the first ever sermon in the New Testament church, and 3,000 people are saved that day. Uh, and that's the birth of the church right there, the beginning of a movement that's been transforming the world for 2,000 years. And these first believers, Are these spirit-filled followers of Jesus, well, they're the ones we read about in our verses today. So let me read Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, uh, all the way through, and then we'll work through uh, each verse in detail. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 2 verse 42 to 47. So what were the hallmarks of the very first church? Well, first, they were a learning church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember at the time, none of the New Testament had been written. It was all happening around them. And it would be almost 20 years before uh, before Paul wrote his first letters to the church, and around the same time, the first written gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and death and resurrection started to appear, but, but that was 20 years in the future. For this church, they were learning from the apostles. They were learning from the ones who had been witnesses of Jesus' ministry from the very beginning, as it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. The apostles had been with Jesus ever since his baptism by John, they'd listened to his teaching... They'd witnessed his death. They'd been witnesses to his resurrection. The apostles were men with a unique insight into Jesus. They'd been chosen by Jesus and prepared by him for their role in teaching the early church and laying down the record of what would become the New Testament. And so the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were hungry to know more. They wanted to understand how the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus. They needed to know the new way of faith, not the sacrificial system. I'm sure they had questions about life and death and heaven and hell and why Jesus had to die and what would life be like as a follower of Jesus. A little bit later this year, we'll be hosting the Alpha Course in our church. It's a course for people who are just finding out about Jesus or they're curious to know more. And it gives them a chance to ask all of those questions and to hear what the Bible says. And I hope that lots of us will be involved in Alpha, in inviting friends, in joining the discussion, in praying for the same kind of energy we see in this early church, a desire to know more and to learn about Jesus. But that same eager desire to learn, well, that's a hallmark of every great church, a hunger to learn from God's word, to learn from the Bible, hunger to listen to what God is saying, a thirst for Jesus and his astonishing teaching and a desire for the Holy Spirit to apply that teaching to us, changing us, growing us, stretching us, and shaping us into the people that God is making us for all eternity. Great churches are learning churches. That's why we spend so much time every week, every Sunday, working our way through the Bible. Same in midweek Bible study groups, same in Alpha. Learning from the Bible is perhaps our most core business. Because it's in the Bible that we learn how to be saved, and how to live for Christ, and how to die well. It's all there in the Bible. We're a Bible-teaching church and a Bible-learning church. Well, the second hallmark of the early church was that they were a loving church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. I always think of fellowship as one of those old-fashioned churchy words. Uh, I generally try to avoid those words. But this passage puts some shape around what fellowship means in a Christian sense. Uh, And it's wonderful, by the way. It paints this picture of joyful friendship and mutual responsibility and and love and care. Well, it paints a picture of a really happy community. Look at verse 44 with me. All the believers were together and had everything in common. In the fellowship of the early church, being together was really important. And after the year we've all just experienced, we know the importance of being together. I've missed seeing you all at church each Sunday and at the normal midweek gatherings and popping into the office. We've had a significant disruption to our togetherness. And that will change soon when the church building is reopened, we'll get back to Sundays, But there's no need to wait until then. Pandemic restrictions, they're largely lifted for most of us. It means we can get together with church family and homes and cafes and restaurants and in parks. There's nothing stopping us from having fellowship in all kinds of ways, including socially distanced ways. So I hope you don't wait for church to reopen before you reach out and rekindle some of those relationships that might have dwindled over the last year or so. Because what we learn from the early church is that being together is good, both at formal church events and informally in our homes. I Look at verse 46 with me. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Acts 2 verse 46. Now remember that there were no specific Christian churches, no buildings that is. And so the believers kept going back to the Jewish temple where the apostles would teach in the open courtyard area. This was their church, for want of a better word. A borrowed place to meet and learn about God. And they devoted themselves to that meeting in the same way that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The same Greek word is used in both verses. It's just translated differently in the NIV, but other translations use devoted for both. They were devoted going to church. Uh, We'll have our church back soon, and I would love to see us as a church that is committed and devoted to gathering each Sunday, a church that puts Sunday first, a church that makes meeting together just the normal thing that we do each Sunday, such that, you know, unless you're ill or away on vacation, you plan to be with us. And of course, that shouldn't be any different while we're meeting online. It's just that you're less visible to the rest of the congregation uh, when you're watching on demand. But you know what? Even, even the fact that you watched is an encouragement. And when you like the videos and when you subscribe and when you send me feedback, it reminds me that we are not a disconnected church, but a church that is connected despite the strange season we find ourselves in. So that's the first aspect of this loving church. The loved being together at church but they also loved being together outside of church. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, Acts 2, verse 46 to 47. The early church opened up their homes to one another. They shared meals. They broke bread, which was the traditional way that Jewish meals began, with the host breaking bread and thanking God. They shared what they had. Travelling in Africa a few years ago, I had the chance to visit a school and a church in rural Tanzania. Um, That church and school, well, they received some support from the church I was working at at the time. Um, And so the pastor of the church, uh, him and his wife, invited us into their home, uh, which by African standards was a palace. To us, it would feel more like a shack. Well, the pastor's wife brought out a plate of food to share. And there were five or six cubes of meat and some cake with sugar on the top. I'd been traveling for something like 30 hours and I was really hungry, so I reached for a slice of cake. It was delicious. Then I took a piece of meat. Uh, It was a cube a bit less than an inch across. Uh, It was tough, but it tasted good. And my friend, uh, another Australian who worked as the business manager for the school, well, he just nibbled at a small piece of cake. Afterwards, he told me that this was as much food as the family would normally eat in two days and that's why he didn't eat anything. But there they were, this Christian brother and sister, willing to share what little they had as they opened their home to us. And they did it with glad and sincere hearts as we praise God together for a way that the Australian churches had blessed their village with a school and, and the chance to escape poverty. Well, my wife Joanna has the gift of hospitality, and feeding people is one of her love languages. It gives us great joy to share a meal with people and... Joe loves to cook up a storm, but it doesn't have to be that way. Having people is, uh, having people over, it's, it's more about growing relationships than showing off your culinary prowess. And so a simple meal or even a cup of coffee together with great conversation and a chance to pray, well, I think that's probably what this early church enjoyed. Uh, if your gift is hospitality, then please lead by example. Uh, but if hospitality is not your gift, Why don't start small and see what God does with a little faith? Well, there's one more little thing about fellowship that marked the early church, and that is their generosity. Lots of people find Acts 2 verse 45 a bit troubling. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Some Christians have interpreted this as a call to a kind of communism by the Essene community In nearby Qumran, well, they had this as one of their rules. Uh, Their requirement was that all possessions had to be given into common ownership before you could join their movement. But we never see that command anywhere in the New Testament. A private ownership of property continued, and it had to in order for them to break bread in one another's homes. And later on in the book of Acts, we see churches established in private homes. So when the people sold property to contribute to the needs of others, It wasn't by compulsion, it was a response to God's grace. Their generosity sprung up out of their understanding of God's generosity towards them. It was a natural response of love towards those in their community with less. I'd love to see our church sharing in that way. I'd love to see us establish a benevolence fund, uh, to continue to be involved in food distribution, and uh, to give our time in practical ways as we're able. I will think more about gifts next week, but if this is something that you're passionate about, I'd love to get a coffee with you and hear your ideas, and we'll see what the Lord does with those plans. So the early church was a learning church, a loving church, and third of all, they were a praying church. I wanted to call this segment a worshipping church, but I'm not sure exactly how this early church worshipped, except for in prayer and possibly with the Psalms. Later on in Acts, we find Paul and Silas singing hymns while they're in jail in Philippi. That's in Acts 16. But that's years after this chapter takes place. And Jesus had only just left them. There was hardly any time to have written songs and formal prayers. Maybe they had. But Luke, who wrote this book of Acts, uh, he records that just that they prayed. A great church is a praying church. Praying reminds us that we can do nothing without God. Jesus is the uh, supreme example of this. Even as the Son of God, a God himself born in human flesh, well, Jesus still made time to connect with his heavenly Father at every opportunity. Because Jesus knew that prayer is what keeps us connected to God. It keeps us grounded. It keeps our perspective on the heavenly. It raises our focus from our earthly issues, and it reminds us of God's plans for this world. A prayer is like oxygen for Christians. We need it to survive. And that's why the early church prayed. They followed the example of the apostles, just as the apostles followed the example of Jesus. They learned how to pray, and they taught one another how to pray. And the more they did it, the more natural it became. Back in Sydney, we had friends from Chile. They'd come to Australia as a young married couple so that the wife could study English. The husband, uh, back in Chile he worked for uh, the Christian group on one of the university campuses in Santiago. But just after they arrived from Chile uh, we had them over for a meal in our home and after dinner we prayed together and after we finished the husband said that was the first time I ever prayed in English. Uh, he did a great job but it wasn't easy for him. I think a lot of us are like that with prayer. It doesn't come easily. Everyone else seems to pray more naturally or more eloquently or with more Bible references. Perhaps you feel like that sometimes. I imagine in the early church there were a lot of awkward prayers and people who felt awkward praying. Jews whose religion had changed significantly because of Jesus. And then as the gospel spread, people from all kinds of religious backgrounds refocusing their hearts on Jesus. And then there would have been people like me, people who grew up with no religion no one to teach me how to pray. And so I had to learn to pray as a 16 year old. Praying takes practice, but it's worthwhile. And that's one of the reasons why we have a monthly prayer meeting. The next one's coming up this Tuesday night. We'd we'd love to see you there. We have prayer notes that you can download and print so that there are words on the page to guide your prayers. This is part of how we learn to pray. Like learning a language for the first time, we, we learn words and phrases. And eventually, we can make our own sentences. I would love for our church to be a praying church in formal ways and in our informal relationships. We want to be a church that is bathed in prayer, powered by prayer, grounded in prayer. There's a story that I've often told at our monthly prayer meetings. It's about the famous 19th century English preacher, Charles Spurgeon. The story goes that several college students went to visit his church in London in order to hear this famous preacher preach. And Spurgeon himself met them at the door and offered to show them around. Well, at one point, he asked if they wanted to see the church's boiler room. And he took them downstairs, where they saw hundreds of people praying for God's blessing on the service and on Spurgeon's preaching. That prayer gathering is what Spurgeon called the boiler room of his church. You know, God used Charles Spurgeon and the prayers of those saints to bring great revival. Spurgeon preached to crowds of 10,000 every Sunday. Wouldn't it be amazing if the boiler room of Yonville Community Church was a gathering of faithful prayers? Imagine what God might do as we pray for chances to share uh, share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. Because God loves to answer prayers like that. Verse 47 says... And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Acts 2.47 You see, the early church was also an evangelistic church. God used them to share the good news of Jesus Christ with thousands. So many that the gospel eventually went out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus had promised in Acts 1.8. The perfect church is not just about those who are already here. It's about the love of God welcoming more and more people into our fellowship, including them into our homes, and including them in our prayers. It's a church where God is at work changing lives for the better. It's a kind of church that I would love us to be here at Yomphill Community Church. A learning church, a loving church, a praying church, and an evangelistic church. Will you pray for that with me? Father, we thank you for this example of these first Christians gathering together Thank you for the Holy Spirit and the way that you shaped their community and their fellowship. Father, may we be like them in in those important ways uh, to learn from your word, uh, to be a prayerful church, uh, to love one another, and to reach out with the hope of Jesus. Uh, We pray that you would give us that gift uh, as your Holy Spirit fills us. As you open the doors of our church building, may you open the doors of our hearts so that we can share this message with our neighbors in the Napa Valley and beyond. To the praise of Jesus, amen.